You know, 1900 years ago, um, Diognetus received this letter from a reporter in 130 AD, and this reporter was trying to explain to Diognetus how these peculiar people were living in the empire of Rome. And here's, here's what this reporter said about these peculiar people living in the empire of Rome 1900 years ago. He said this, for the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. It's like they're just passing through. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they don't destroy their offspring. They, they have a common table, but not a common bed. They're in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they're citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They're unknown and condemned. They're put to death and restored to life. They're poor, yet they make many rich. They're in lack of all things, and yet they abound in all. They're dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They're evil spoken of and yet are justified. They're reviled and blessed. They're insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened to life. They're assailed by the Jews as foreigners, persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. And so this, this reporter was, was trying to explain the peculiar nature of, of these Christians who lived 1,900 years ago in the Roman Empire. The, the, these people who had ascribed to this brand new religion. See, see Christianity was birthed uh, when Jesus was, was crucified and, and resurrected around 26 AD. So around the time that this reporter is writing to Diognetus, it, it's been about 100 years that have passed. And so Christianity is, is still fairly new to, to the Roman Empire. And Diognetus, is, this Roman guy, is, is trying to figure out what is it about these Christians that make them different from us as Romans? Because for Romans, they, they had a very uh, great pride in who they were. See, the Romans and, and the people who belonged to the Empire of Rome were all about SPQR, the people in the Senate of Rome. They stood for Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. And the idea about Pax Romana, Roman peace, is that the, the way that Rome got peace in the world is they just conquered your country. So they were coming with their military and their army, and they'd conquer your country, and you're going to submit, you're going to do what we say, and if you don't, we'll kill you. Either way, we're going to have peace. And so you're conforming to the Roman Empire. The, the, the Roman people were, were really proud about who they were. and excited. But then came along these peculiar kind of people, these, these Christians, who didn't operate the same way. And they were kind of a mystery. And so Dionysus is wondering, what, what is it about these? How, how do these Christians live and operate? And, and I want to show you some of the differences that, that, that the reporter explains. He says this, see, for these Christians, they, they had a common table like Romans. So a common table, we, we eat together, we invite people together, but, but they didn't have a common bed. 
And, and this is very different from, from Roman society back then. See, in Roman society, uh, it, it was common to have sex with multiple people. And even in part of their religion, some of the ways that you would worship some of the Roman gods is you would go to the temple and have sex with temple prostitutes. And so there's a common bed, a shared bed. But this reporter says, these Christians, they don't do that. I mean, they invite anybody to the table, but they practice monogamy. They're, they're husbands of but one wife. Uh, one wife. They're, they're, they're wives of but one husband. So, so, so that's something that's different about them. He says that these Christians loved in the face of, of oppression. They had joy despite their circumstances and they lived richly despite their poverty. See, th- there was something peculiar about these people and it was their peculiarity, the peculiarity of these Christians that ultimately turned the world upside down. Because at that time, the, the Roman Empire had conquered the known world, but then come along these Christians and they turned the world upside down and ultimately their lives, the way that they live, how they operate, led to a revolution in Rome. We're uh, starting a brand new series today called Resolutions and Revolutions, and uh, this is a brand new series because it's a brand new year, right? How many of you, when 2023 came, you said, 2023 is for me, right? This is the year for me. 2023 is the year for me. Everything is going to change. How many of you made a resolution? Okay, none of you. Nobody made a resolution? Are you kidding me? Wait, here, share, share some of the resolutions that you made with me. What do you got? Drink more water. I like it. Got to stay hydrated. Don't want to cramp up. Go to the gym. Yeah. What resolutions did you make? Pay off debt. Pay off debt. All right. Nice. I'm, read the Bible more. I like it. I'm getting more responses than I had hands raised earlier. That's what's up. Yeah. One of the things that I uh, did is um, my, my wife and I, my brother-in-law and, uh, and sister-in-law, we, we started this thing called 75 Hard. And so we're going through 75 Hard this, this year. If you're not sure what that is, you can look it up. There's this thing called Google. You just type in G-O-O-G-L-E dot com. Just type in 75 hard. You'll see. But anyway, so, so that's one of the things that we, we engage in. Another thing is uh, I'm going to read three books in the next three months. Um, and then my other goal is to get three months ahead in sermon writing and sermon prep. And so, so those are some of the, the resolutions that I have. But, but we make resolutions ultimately because we want to see a revolution take place in our life. This is why we make a health resolution, because we want to see a health revolution take place in our life. And so, so we want to see a, a revolution of health in our life, and so we resolve to start walking more, to take up running. We resolve to go to the gym. We resolve to eat right. Why? Because we want to see a revolution take place. We want to see a change happen in our life. We, we want to see a revolution when it comes to our finances, and so because of that, we do something we've never done before, or we give our hand at something that we've tried before and failed at, but this time, we're going to do it. This time, we're going to succeed. And so we sign up for Financial Peace University that we're going to be offering uh, in the next couple weeks here as a church. And so maybe that's something you need to sign up for. Or you resolve, I'm going to create a budget. We're going to go out to eat less. Um, we're going to get out of debt. We're going to pay off the credit cards and then cut them up, whatever it is. You make a resolution because you want to see a revolution take place in your life. We say, I want to see a revolution take place when it comes to my emotional and mental health. And because of that, during the new year, we make this resolution to get more organized. We say, I'm going to put my phone down more. I'm going to be more present. I'm going to uh, organize my time better. I'm going to spend more time with family. I'm going to say no to things that don't really matter. So we make these resolutions ultimately because we want to see a revolution take place in our life. But here's the sad thing. 
91% of people who make resolutions fail. Like 91% of people who say, I want to see this revolution in my life. I want to see this change in my life. They get pumped up. They get excited. January 1st comes along. They say, I'm going to do this. And then by the end of January, they've quit. They failed. And because of that, only about 27 pe- or 27% of people make resolutions. I think it's because we look at resolutions and say, I'm not going to do it anyway. <laughs> or I tried it before and I failed. So what's the point in even trying? And here's what happens. Here's what's so difficult about that. What happens is because we failed in the past, because we didn't come through before and we didn't see the revolution, we just quit. We just give up and we stay right where we are. Because why even try if I'm going to fail? And so we stay stagnant. Or we just inch along, hoping for a little bit of progress. And ultimately, we never really discover the more that we were made for. But I want to show you some of, the, some of the most popular resolutions that people make. Again, only 27% of people actually make resolutions each year. And year over year, I want you to see that the resolutions people make are pretty much the same. Like in, in 2019, 59% of people who made resolutions said they were going to exercise more. 54% said they were going to eat healthier. 51% said they wanted to save money. And then 48% said that they wanted to lose weight. And so you got 59% of people saying, I'm going to exercise more, 54% of people saying, I'm going to eat healthier, but only 48% believe they're going to lose weight, right? So there's a gap there. Not not everybody thinks that they're going to lose some weight. And then in in 2020, I want you to see this. 50% of people said they're going to exercise more, 49% save money, 43% eat healthier. What we see year over year is that people keep making the same resolutions over and over again. But I want you to see the difference here. The number of people, the percentage of people who are making those resolutions are decreasing. And it may very well be because, well, I've tried it and I failed, so why try again? It may also be, well, I accomplished it, so I don't need to make that resolution again. Most likely, according to the data, that's not the case though. Most likely it's because they failed. And then you, you see the next resolution in 2021. Top resolutions in 2021, 50% of people exercise more and improve fitness, 48% lose weight, 44% save money, 39% improving diet. Either we are radically obese or we got an image problem in our country or we're just super like not disciplined. I, I don't know. But over and over again, you see these resolutions are around getting fit, eating right, losing weight. But then 2022, last year, this is the time I think everybody gave up. (laughs) 2022, 23% said, I just want to live healthier. 23%, I just want to live healthier. Of people who made resolutions, 21% of them said, I'm just going to focus on personal improvement and happiness. Well, here's where I am. Might as well just be happy with it. 21% of people, and then 20% of people said they want to lose weight. I want you to notice that saving money is not there anymore. So either people saved up all the money that they need, or they're like, "Ah, forget it. I don't know. But these are the resolutions that we make year over year over year, and here's what I want you to see. These are resolutions that we make year over year over year over year. And here's what happens. Here's what might have happened in your life years ago. He said, this new year, new me. This is my year. Everything's going to change. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to whatever it is. And then January 
19th came around. January 19th is known as Quitter's Day. January 19th, the studies show, is the day most people bail on their resolutions. And so 91% of people who make resolutions abandon them. And most people quit their resolutions completely on January 19th. And so if you made a resolution and you're going strong, hey, you got about 11 more days before you quit, all right? And if you can make it 11 more days, just keep on going. But 9% of people actually accomplish their resolutions and then they see a revolution take place in their life. 91% of people never see the revolution they hoped for, which is why they made that resolution. And maybe you've been in that. You made this resolution and year after year after year, this is gonna be my year. Things are gonna change. Everything's gonna be different. But come on, let's be real. The truth is you said that last year. And you said it the year before and you said it the year before. And I wonder if for most of us, we're looking at our lives and we say, I'm, I'm stuck in the same spot. I wanted to see a revolution, but it never happened. Today is the day I believe things will change for you if you'll press in, engage, and do something about it. That's why we're doing this series, because I want to help you break out of this cycle. I want to help you get off the hamster wheel of making resolutions and then just disappointing yourself and never seeing the revolution. Because the truth is, God has something in store for you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has called you to discover the more that you were made for. And as long as you live in this cycle of never embracing the revolution or the resolution, taking steps, then you'll never see the revolution that you long for. And that's what this series is about. Taking steps, making progress, and getting where we want to be. Because the truth is this, for so many of us, there's this me that we see. And there's this me that we want to be. And there's a gap in between. And we make resolutions so that we can bridge the gap to see the revolution to become who we want to be. And this is, this is really dangerous um, for Christians, I think. Because when we think about people who are following Jesus, oftentimes we say, I want to be this way, but we never quite achieve it. We never quite get to where we want to be. And so there's this gap that's there. And then if we're open, if we're real, if somebody were to look at our lives, because we long to be a certain way, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be patient and kind and loving. We want to be forgiving. Like we want to model our life after this. But I think if we're real, if we're open, if a reporter were to look at our lives today, in 2023, here in America, the question that I have is, would he say the same things about us now that he did about Christians 1,900 years ago? Like, like if, if this reporter looked at your life here and now, would he write the same things that he wrote about Christians who lived 1,900 years ago when this, uh, this, this, this religion, this following of Jesus was in its infancy? I want, to, I want to remind you what he said about those Christians 1,900 years ago. He said this, they're in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. As I read this, I want you to ask, would this be written about me? Is this true for me? Because these people who are Christians 1,900 years ago, if you're a Christian today, like these are the people that we come from. They're, they're in the flesh, but they don't live after the flesh. 
They pass their days on earth, but they're citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They're unknown and condemned. They're put to death and restored to life. They're poor, yet make many rich. They're in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They're dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They're evil spoken of and yet are justified. They're reviled and blessed. They're insulted and they repay insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life, and they are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks, and yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Would a reporter looking at your life write this about you? Or would they write something different about you? And again, I think this is so dangerous for the Christian. Here's why, here's why. Here's what the Christian believes. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're trying to figure out this God thing, I just wanna to explain to you what the Christian believes. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you're like, I'm not sure what I believe. Here's what we believe. We believe that there is an all-powerful God who spoke all things into existence. Things didn't exist. He thought of it, spoke it, and then it existed. God spoke all things into existence. And this is the creation account. And then on the sixth day, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed his breath into his lungs. He comes to the pinnacle of his creative genius and he creates a man in his own image. This is what we believe, that humanity, you and I, we were created in the image of God, of an all-powerful God, of an all-knowing God, of an all-present God. We were created in his image and because of that, you were made good. Christians believe you were made good and you have a plan and a purpose for your life. God has set you apart to do something great. And not only do you have a plan and purpose in your life, but the person sitting next to you has a plan and purpose for their life. They're made in the image of God as well. And so we believe that God spoke all things into existence. And then we believe that because God is all-powerful, all-knowing everywhere, God did some great and amazing things. We believe that there was a moment where an entire nation passed through a sea on dry ground with walls of water on either side. They passed through this sea on dry ground into freedom. We believe that there was a moment where fire fell from the sky as Elijah called it down on Mount Carmel. We believe that there was a moment during the battle of Joshua that the sun stood still in the sky for hours so that Joshua could finish the battle. We believe some crazy things because we believe in an all-powerful God. We believe that we have the very word of God in our midst. And at any point, we can hear from God. We believe that we have audience with God, that we can go to God and speak to him, the creator of the universe, who spoke all things into existence, all power. We, we can speak to him, and he listens. This is what we believe. We believe that a virgin gave birth to a baby. Virgins don't give birth to babies. But we believe that a virgin gave birth to the Son of God. And that this man, Jesus, lived a perfect life, a life you and I can't live, ultimately dying a death that we deserve, so that when he went to the cross and he was nailed to the cross, our sin, our shame, everything that separates us from God was nailed to him on the cross, so that when Jesus died, it died. 
So you and I can have relationship with God. We can be in connection, in community with our creator, and we no longer have to be separated from him. And when we say yes to God through the sacrifice of Jesus and we're baptized into him, then God's spirit, God himself, comes to live inside of us. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And he brings with him an unending well of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have all these things inside of you. This is what the Christian believes. But the problem is, we believe it, but we don't always live it. We believe it, but we don't always live it. I mean, what if... You really believe to the point that you said, I'm going to live like this is real. What if you really decided to live like what you believed is real? That there's an all-powerful God who spoke all things into existence, who made you good. You're made in the image of God. That his spirit lives inside of you. You've been forgiven. You don't have to live in that doubt anymore. You don't have to live in that shame anymore. You don't have to live in that guilt anymore. What if you actually lived that way? How would your life look different? Would you love your spouse a little better? Would you be a little kinder to your kids? Would you look in the mirror and actually love what you see? Would the insecurity and inadequacy melt away and you knew that you were good enough because you were called by God's name? See, the problem is we believe it. Man, but we don't always live it. And because of that, I think that there's a mis-in-translation between how those Christians lived 1,900 years ago and how we live now. See, I, I think if, if a reporter were to write about what he sees today with Christians in America, he'd write something like this. The Christians of America try to do their best. They do. I mean, they really do try to do their best when, when they have time, of course, I mean, that, that is, if they're not too busy, what they do is they show up to a service, at least 22% show up weekly, and about 45% show up almost every week or once a month or, or seldom, and about 31% of Christians aren't even part of a church. And that's what the studies show. Again, just think about what we believe. In light of what we believe, this is the outcome. About 35%, this is what the the reporter would write, about 35% of Christians actually read their Bible. Can you fathom that? Like we have the word of God at our disposal. These Christians 1,900 years ago didn't have this. They had to show up in a group and have somebody read it to them. But we have the word of God, God's very word written down for us. This isn't just some book. This isn't some textbook. This isn't some historical document. But this is God's word at our disposal. And 35% of Christians, and if you're not a Christian, don't worry about this. Like you can, you can tune out. Like I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just like, like, Landed on Christians right now. But for Christians, 35% of us read this. The rest of Christians are like, uh, I don't really like reading. You have God's word right there. The, the source of life is right there. What God thinks and feels is right there. You can know the creator of the universe. It's right there. And you even have it on your phone, but only 35% of it 
or 35% of us. Read it. Do we really believe what we say we believe? I don't really like reading. I don't really have time. Man, he would say 35% of Christians actually read their Bible. 69% pray, so that's good. I mean, 69% take time to actually talk to the creator of the universe. Have you stopped to think about that? You have audience with the creator of the universe, your heavenly father who knows all things, who knows all, all, all the days of your life before any of them ever came to be. He has access to all the resources that you need. Only 69% of people take time to talk with him. And I imagine that the percentage is even fewer of people who take time to just sit in his presence and know that he's God. This prayer, I mean, it could be anything as I'm, as I'm going about my day. As I'm, but, 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 but how many of us, how many of us, how many of us take time before we interact with all these people, all these things in life, before we get bogged down in all the busyness of life? How many of us just take time to sit in his presence and know that he's God and that he's with us and he goes with us as we go about our day? Man, how would that change your day if you knew that you weren't alone and you took time to tap into the strength and the power and the wisdom that God has available to you. Only 69% of people, this reporter would say, take time to pray. He would say 95% of Christians never return the tithe, the first 10% of their income back to God through the local church. Uh, So only about 5% of Christians actually return the first 10% back to God. He, he, He would write that the average Christian gives $17 a week through the local church, and divorce rates among Christians are pretty similar to that of non-Christians uh, at about the more accurate 30% versus the, the myth of 50%. See, there's this thing, people say 50% of marriages end in divorce. The, the truth is about 30% of marriages end in divorce, and um, there's not much difference between uh, marriages between Christians and non-Christians. So this reporter would say, yeah, there's not much of a difference between them. Now, the statistics do show that those Christians who weekly practice church attendance, daily Bible reading, and prayer, for those Christians who do that, weekly church attendance, daily Bible reading, and prayer, drug and alcohol abuse and pornography addiction is less than those who don't, so that's good, but they still get in fights on social media, they harp on certain sins as worse than others, and they aren't always the nicest people to be around. Like, I think a reporter looking at Christians in America for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, he said, yeah, this is how they live. At least that's what the studies show. So I want to ask you, as you look at your life, does what the reporter wrote back then match up with how you live now? Or what I just read, does that look more like your life here and now? So I think an obstacle that we come across when it comes to how we live is, I know I should, I know I should and, and, and I don't want you to should on yourself, right? Like, I know I should do this. Nah. this isn't, it's not about what you should do. It's about, do you want to? Will you take a step? Will you do what it takes to close the gap? And I just, I, I know I should, but, but will you actually do it? I know I should get healthier. Okay, will you? I know I should get better in my finances. Okay, but will you? I know I should organize myself. I know, but will you? That's, that's what it comes down to. 
And I think what happens is sometimes we'll, we'll read the stories of people in the scriptures and um, we make excuses for ourselves where we'll distance ourselves from them because we see them kind of as superheroes. Like, yeah, but that was them and, and this is me and I'm a regular person and they're like superheroes. But the truth is the people that we read about in the scriptures, they're regular people just like us. The people that this reporter was writing about to Diognetus, he was writing about regular people, just like us. They just lived differently to where they were peculiar people. But sometimes we can separate ourselves from what we read in the scriptures like, like this. We read Hebrews 11.32. It says, how much more do we need to say? I would, I would take too long to recount the stories of faith of, of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. And we could read that and say, yeah, but I got a raise at work. Like, I'm not overthrowing some battle or some army. Like, we can read that stuff and we say, that's not my life. They're superheroes. But he goes on to write this. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. And their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. And then he says this, they were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Listen, these were regular people going about life, but their faith in God dictated how they lived, and they became a peculiar people, a kind of people that he says the world wasn't worthy of. I wonder, based on the way that you live and your pursuit of Jesus, are you living in such a way where it's like, yeah, people just don't get it. They don't understand. They're not worthy. Of, I mean, you're, wow. Like, like people will look at your life and say, man, there's something unique and special and peculiar about the way that they're living. But again, we can look at the people in the Old Testament and think, oh, well, they're superheroes, and we can dismiss that and, and write that off. So, so, so I don't want to do that. Instead, um, I want to look at some of the Christians in, uh, in the New Testament and how they lived early on when Christianity first began. And by the way, can I just point out that the people in the scriptures are not superheroes, they're regular people. James, the, the brother of Jesus, actually explained this about this guy, Elijah, who was a prophet, and Elijah was like the Michael Jordan of prophets, but here's the commentary James says about Elijah, uh, James 5.17, he says, Elijah was a human as we are. Like, he did some great and amazing things in his life, but he was a human as we are. Yet, when he prayed earnestly, then no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Here's what James is saying is that you and I are just like Elijah. The question is, will we pray like he did? Will we pray big, bold prayers? Will we pray earnestly? Will we increase our faith? Will we just continue to pursue God no matter what? If so, the things that you see in the scriptures, you'll begin to see in your own life. Not exactly. 
but in various ways. But again, I just want to look at regular people, just regular, regular Christians just like us. And these are Christians who lived 2,000 years ago when the church first began. And, and, and you know, sometimes when I read the scriptures, I, I like to think, man, if my life was written into the scriptures, would it make sense? Like, would somebody read about my life and they'd say, oh, yeah, that makes, yeah, that fits right in. Or they read about my life and they'd say, why is that in there? That doesn't make sense. I want you to think about this. As I read about these early Christians, imagine if your life was written about in the scriptures. I wonder if it might sound like this. I've taken some liberty to, to rewrite this. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind, except for Joyce, who got mad at Janet because she posted some opinions she didn't like on Facebook, so she fired off a public response, and they went back and forth with each other over something that wouldn't even matter years from now. Have you read that in the account of the early Christians in the scriptures? Would you be like, huh? Why are they acting like that? But that's how we act. That's not really in there, by the way. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, except for those who didn't. What? That doesn't make sense. Why? I don't... With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But Joe wondered why they didn't talk about other stuff also. They just keep talking about the resurrection. And why they didn't, uh, why some, and he didn't like some of what the apostles said. So uh, what he decided to do was go to the church down the street and he sent the apostles an email explaining that he had been praying about this and God was leading him elsewhere. If that was in the scriptures and you read that, you'd be like, What? But it happens. It happens. And by the way, if you leave a church, don't send me an email. Talk to me. Let's treat people the way we want to be treated. You don't want somebody sending you an email. Come on. I've been praying about it. And also, look, if you don't like something, don't put that on God. I've been praying about it in God's real. No, you just didn't like something. Just say, I didn't like something. I got offended. I got mad at it. Whatever. Let's just, let's, you know, just say it is what it is. If the, if the other church is closer to you, just say this other church closer to me is convenient. Okay, fine. I've been praying and God's leaving. No, it's just closer. I'd save gas. Just say it. But if we read this in the scriptures, we'd be like, I don't get it. These people are living like this. God's grace was so powerfully at work in the mall. And Julian really appreciated what he heard when he showed up for the services if he didn't have something else going on since his life was so busy. And there were no needy persons among them for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And Joseph, and this really did happen, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Like, if your life were written about in the scriptures, would it make sense? Would it fit in? Or when they came to you, would they say, and James saved up his money and he bought a Kia for 2.5% interest? <laughs> like, like is, that, is that what they would write about? Is that what it would amount to? And they'd be like, what? Why, did, that doesn't even, why is that in there? And look, there's nothing wrong with 
you going on vacation or planning what's for dinner or saving money or buying you a Kia. Now, don't buy it with a loan. Instead, save up money and buy it in cash. Don't go into debt for it. My wife and I, we're saving up. She wants to tell you, Rod, so we're saving up for it right now. So that is going to be true about us. We bought a Kia one day. Anyway, so I'm not mad at you about that. Do that stuff. Get that stuff. But is that what your life is all about? Is that what would stand out in your life? These are the highlights of your life. Or would it be written something greater than that? What are you living for? Are you discovering the more that you were made for? Or do you just look like everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus? If a reporter were to write about your life, what would he say about your life? What do you say that there's a joy that surpasses understanding? There's something different about these people at Journey. Man, they are a peculiar kind of people. There are people where it's like they're living for something different. There's a gratitude that emanates in everything in these people of Journey. There's a hope that outlasts. When people say about you, it's like you're a citizen of somewhere else, like you're part of some other kingdom. Like there's something different about you. Would, 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 would they say that you lack, but you live like you have everything? I mean, people talk bad about you, but you just bless them. Like you face hard times and yet you rejoice. The question is, are you a peculiar person where a reporter would write about you and say, there's something different about you. So much so that a revolution would take place in your life and in the life of those around you. Would anybody notice how peculiar you are? This is what Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, explained in 1 Peter 3.15. He said this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, not just Savior of your soul, not just somebody that you come and visit on Sundays and say, Hey, God, all right, bless me. All right, I'll see you next week. No, but like make him the Lord of your life and everything in my marriage and my finances and my, my, my value, the way that I see myself and my, everything. Make him the Lord of your life. God, I'm following you. And if someone asks about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Why would somebody ask you about the hope that you have? Here's why. Because you're a peculiar person. The way you're living, that's weird. You got a joy that not many people have. You got a hope when everything hits the fan. You operate differently. Would anybody see your life and say, can you please tell me what's different about you? That's what we want. That's what we hope for. Because the life you long to live is found in that. So what would a reporter write about you? Matthew 5, 14, Jesus explained this. You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but I want to be a light in my life. I want to be a light to the people around me. And sometimes I hide it under a bowl. Sometimes I get intimidated. Sometimes I get scared about it. Sometimes I just don't even think about it. But I want to shine brighter this year. I hope you do too. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I want to invite you to be a part of. See, in order to see some things we've never seen before, we've got to do some things we've never done before. 
In order to become a peculiar kind of people, it means that we need to live a different way. In order to break the cycle of going through resolution after resolution and quitting on January 19th, we got to commit to do something different. So here's what I want to invite you to do. To join us together collectively as a church as we go on this journey for the next seven weeks. Tomorrow, we're beginning this journey called Basic 7. And you have a handout of, of what that looks like in your chair. And here's what Basic 7 is. Basic 7 is going to challenge you to do some things you've never done before, to get outside your comfort zone, to develop some new habits so that you become somebody different, so that the, at the end of this journey, you'll look back and say, I've come a long way. I've bridged the gap between who I see and who I want to be, and I'm different now. And this is a mental toughness program. It's a discipline program, and essentially, we've said there's, there's seven basic things for you to do. Now, this, 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 uh, this journey doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't get you into heaven. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It's just, do you want to be a peculiar kind of person, a different kind of person that shines your light where people look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. The things in this program are designed to help you become that kind of person. And so here's what basic seven is. For the next seven weeks, beginning tomorrow, collectively, you decide, I'm going to abstain from alcohol. So no alcohol for the next seven weeks, 49 days. For some, but the Super Bowl, exactly. Yep, not drinking then. I know, it's going to be a tough one. I'm, I'm right there with you. Because, come on, we make excuses and we come up with caveats and here's why, but let me and explain. And, then, and that's why we don't live the life that we long. Because, well, but this. Well, but it's a special, okay. But, so abstain from alcohol. For seven weeks. The next one is you're going to meet somebody every day. You're going to meet somebody new every single day. Hey, what's your name? Hey, I come to this gym. I see you all the time. What's your name? Haven't met you. Look, there was a time, and, and Dave, my brother-in-law, and I, we, we did this whole recording. It's an hour and 25 minutes, so I don't have that much time to go into all of it. But um, there was a time where I did something similar to this, and uh, the idea is that you got to meet somebody new every single day. What that's going to do is it's going to help you get outside your comfort zone uh, to, to, to put seeds in and, and meet people and maybe one day share your faith. We're not saying you got to give people a gospel presentation or anything like that. You just got to meet them. You got to get to know their name. There was one time I was doing something like this, and by the end of the day, I hadn't met anybody, and I didn't want to fail. So I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to Walmart. I'll be right back. I went to Walmart to meet somebody. Like, for real. I went there. I saw a guy stocking the shelves. The shelves weren't stocked. And I was like, man, it's like, it's not a lot of produce out, huh? He was like, yeah, supply chain. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Hey, what's your name? Oh, Joe. Okay, Joe, hey. And I met somebody. You got to meet somebody every single day. And you can go on our website. You can pull up the, the page and you can see the frequently asked questions. What if I work from home? What if I figure it out? You got to meet somebody every single day. You got to exercise for 45 minutes every day. You don't have to lift weights. You don't have to be an Olympic weightlifter. You can go for a walk for 45 minutes. You can go play pickleball for 45 minutes. Get active for 45 minutes every single day. Observe a 24-hour Sabbath weekly. So once a week for 24 hours, I'm going to stop. I'm going to refresh and refuel. Again, you can listen to the whole podcast episode where we talk about observing that Sabbath uh, for, for 24 hours. This is, I'm going to put my phone away 
And I'm going to be present here and now and not distracted. Perform one random act of kindness every day. So I want to be kind to people. I want to love people. Perform a random act of kindness every day. This could be you pay for the person's coffee behind you in the drive-thru. This could, now if you do that every day, it's going to get expensive. This could be as you're doing your 45-minute walk around the neighborhood, you take a trash bag with you and you pick up trash. Boom, you got your 45-minute workout and you did your random act of kindness. There was a time I was doing something like this. I didn't do a random act of kindness, so I went to Walmart. I went to Walmart and I noticed that there were carts out that weren't returned to the corral. So what I did was I went and I returned carts up to the front. Random act of kindness. There you go, cart man. Hope you're happy. (laughs) Had to get it in, right? Random act of kindness could be uh, text. Hey, I've been thinking about you. You know, here's the impact that you made in my life. I just want to let you know. A card that you write. Random act of kindness every single day. The next one is you pick a diet and you stick with it no cheat meals. I'm currently doing something like that. My diet is no bread, no fried food, no sweets. My wife, she's doing Optavia for her diet. Um, you could do a keto diet. You could do a, a, a low-carb diet. You could do a, a beach body diet, South Beach diet. You could do a, don't do a seafood diet. I see food and I eat it, not that. But you pick a diet and you stick to it. No cheat meals at all. And then finally, Wake up before the sun and spend time with God every single day for seven weeks. Mark 135 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he withdrew from the house and he went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus woke up before the sun and spent time with God. This is gonna help you develop a habit of winning the morning, waking up before the sun. Again, this is gonna be tough, it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna help you Uh, produce some habits in your life that'll be game changers so that at the end of these seven weeks, you'll look back and say, I'm better now than when I started. So seven weeks, basic seven, seven things. And we call it basic seven because these are basics to living the Christian life, spending time with God, making intentional time with him, being kind to people, meeting people, taking care of our body. This is all basic stuff, observing a Sabbath once a week. As you do this, here's what I know. At the end of this journey, you're gonna see a revolution take place in your life because you're gonna do something you never did before. And here's the thing with basic seven. I wanna encourage you, go to our website. You can see it, it's at the top. Click on that, look through the page, listen to the podcast before you get started tomorrow. But check this out, with basic seven, if you fail any of it, you have a cheat meal, you don't meet your person, you don't do your random act of kindness, you got two options. You can quit like you always do, or you can start back over and do it again. There's no grace in this. Here's why. Because we give ourselves grace all the time. And you got to give yourself grace. That's paramount to our faith, grace, getting the opposite of what we deserve. But often we lean towards giving ourselves grace. We give ourselves a pass. Ah, it's okay. It'll be fine, whatever. And that's how we end up 20 pounds overweight because over and over again, we give ourselves a pass over and over again. This is how our marriage begins to erode because we give ourselves a pass over and over again. 
This is how we don't become the person that we wanna be because we give ourselves a pass over and over again. So this is gonna teach you to do what you commit to, to do what you say you're gonna do. So if you miss any of it, you start back over or you can quit. Or another option is you just don't start. There's no judgment in that, but come on, you wanna see a revolution in your life, right? Here's a path to get you there. So we're gonna engage in basic seven beginning tomorrow. Again, there's resources on our site for you to check out and see that. And so uh, my wife and I are gonna be doing this uh, and I hope you'll join us on that. Again, everything that you have uh, is on that website and also on that printout that we gave uh, to you. And here's the deal, you can do this at any time that you want. And so if you don't start tomorrow, you can do this anytime you want during the year. But collectively as a church, we're gonna go through this journey beginning tomorrow. And we wanna invite you as you do this, uh, hashtag basic seven. Uh, post your victories, day one, down, uh, 48 more days to go, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, day 20, this sucks, uh, whatever it is that you need to do, but I'm holding strong, hashtag it, send us pictures, let us see your progress, let us see what you're doing, come up with ideas, we have a, a Journey Facebook group, it's our community group, you can join that, post in that, let us know, you just search for Journey Community Group, and you'll be able to see that. But we want to do this together collectively as a church so that we can see a revolution take place in our lives. And so you can do this anytime that you want. It's going to develop some new habits in your life. It's going to lead to a revolution. Because what if a reporter looked at your life and wrote this about you? They know God in a way where it's like they meet him face to face every day. That's what you'll do when you wake up before the sun and spend time with God. There's evidence that every day of their life, they live in such a way where, where it's like they crashed into their creator, the creator of the universe, and he guides their steps and he directs their path. There's evidence to that. It's like, it's like they really know God. What if a reporter wrote, they've broken addictions, insecurities and bad habits that weren't serving them. They're healthier than most people. They watch what they eat and they take care of themselves physically. They wake up before the sun to experience the calm of the day before the chaos kicks in. They're so disciplined. They seize control of their life instead of allowing the circumstances to be uh, of the moment to dictate their mood. They step outside of their comfort zone, getting to know strangers, building bridges and tearing down walls. They live outwardly instead of inwardly. They seek to see how they can serve others through random acts of kindness because, and because of that, they're generous. No matter how frenetic and wild their week is, they pause for 24 hours to refill, refuel, and revive, reminding themselves of what life really is all about. These Christians of journey, these are those who have tapped into a whole new way of living that seems tough at first but really it's just a return back to the basics. This is what I want written about me. And I hope you want it written about you too. Hey, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy and love. And we know that you have placed so much potential inside of us. Potential that so often we just let lay dormant. But today, tomorrow, we want to tap into it. We want to become all that you've called us to be. 
We want to discover the more that we were made for. And so fire us up, get us pumped, get us passionate as we engage in this journey to see a revolution take place in our lives. We want to know you more. And we want to live like we know you more. It's in Jesus' name, amen.